0: So our scripture reading today is from Romans 12, verses 9 through 12. It says, don't just pretend to love, each, love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be pr- patient in trouble and always keep on praying. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, buddy. So, Jesus, uh, I am grateful for this morning. And I believe that your presence is with us. And so, I just ask in these next few minutes, would you uh, wake us up to your presence here? Would you wake us up to the spirit that lingers in the room? And would you wake us up to the movement of your spirit that um, is not just presence but power? And so, I just pray. Uh, that as we see what you're doing, that as we wake up to your presence here, would you give us the courage uh, to join in that in what you might want to do in us or do around us? Uh, we love you. We thank you for being with us. Thank you for the joy of being with each other. In the name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh as Jamie joked, we are in Romans 12 still for the summer. Don't uh, or congratulations to us, we're about halfway through. Uh, I'm am actually kidding. We're in the home stretch. <laughs> we got we're going through August, um but we have been uh taking like a microscope to Romans 12 and just going uh sometimes verse by verse, sometimes word by word uh through this um ...through this one chapter of the Bible. And and the reason we've done it and we, we've called it culture, which has been on the slide behind me, is uh, because we wanted to talk about not just like culture outside of us... ...but the kind of culture that's possible um, within the church and the kind of culture that uh, the kingdom of God starts to build in the people of God. And uh, so today's talk is, uh, I called it a culture of vibrancy. And when we started the series, this was one of the ones that I was looking to. Like, I cannot wait to preach this sermon. I'd listen to a sermon that was like really inspiring about it and as I was like mapping out the sermons for the summer, I was like, this one's going to be uh, wonderful. And, um, and uh, Romans 12, uh, while it is still exciting to me, it felt so new and so fresh a couple of weeks ago. Um, and sometimes the word vibrant, I think, just means something fresh and something new. Um, but as we've been treading our way through Romans 12 uh, this summer, we've covered difficult ground after difficult ground. And, and then personally, for me, it's been a really good summer, but we've also had life. And we've had hard things and, and life things, and I'm tired. And so what felt vibrant at the beginning of the summer uh, now feels a little more... Um, I want to, well, I want to give you an illustration uh, to tell you maybe how I'm feeling currently uh, before the sermon. Um, if you follow me on social media, you may have seen this. But a few weeks ago, Melissa Webb and I were at lunch uh, at Lemongrass, and I, I got a text from our home phone. Uh, we don't have like a home phone that plugs in, but Huck, Huck has access to like an old phone when Daniel and I are at work. And I get a text from the home phone, and Missy, we put it up there. This is what the text says. For those of you that can't read it, um, this is, I'd I'd like to read it to you. Hot text, I got stuck in my wetsuit for about 20 to 30 minutes, but I finally got out. And I say, oh my gosh, are you okay? And he says, kinda. (laughs) Now, you may have some questions about this. Uh, First being, does Huck really have a wetsuit? And the answer to that is yes. Uh, thank God for the Robinettes, who are the only other family that I'm looking at right now, who would have access to a wetsuit and call one day and be like, we're getting rid of a wetsuit and we thought Huck would want it. And you're like, you're, you're correct. He is the kind of person who would want a wetsuit. Question two, do the Mizell's do lots of water activities that require a wetsuit? The answer is none, not one. <laughs> Zero activities. Uh, that would be an additional follow-up question, was Huck doing an activity at the time that would require a wetsuit? And the answer is absolutely not. He was watching TV and um, put his wetsuit on uh, watching TV. Uh, final question you may have in your, in, 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 as you read this is, was Huck talking about his physical or mental health when he responded, kinda? Uh, and the answer is both, actually. Um, He was not okay. Uh, I got home and I was like, "How'd you get out?" He said, "I had to slither, I had to slither my way to my bedroom and get a coat hanger, which for a child with multiple eye injuries feels very alarming, and hook it on the shoulder and just weasel my way out." So, you know, was it five minutes? Was it thirty? Who knows? Not him, but he's sure it was 30. So uh, today I feel like I'm going to talk about vibrancy um, from that same place uh, where Huck was been. Am I feeling vibrant today? Kind (laughs) of. Kind of. Here's what I want to do. I want to start out our time by looking at uh, some words in verses 11 and 12 from Romans chapter 12 uh, from our scripture lesson lesson that Jamie just read read to us. And I want to steal some thoughts from a book, Uh, as usual. uh, This book is called God is for Us, and it's by a British pastor named Simon Ponsonby, who is a good friend of the vineyard and someone I love listening to. Um, But it's a book where he takes 52 weeks going through the entire book of Romans. So it's one chapter every single week. So um, if you've like loved Romans 12 and you thought, oh my gosh, I want more Romans, uh, then this would be a great book. God is for Us, Simon Ponsonby, um, you'll go through Romans for an entire year. We won't be doing that as a church uh, quite yet. Uh, I've taken three months on one chapter. So, uh, but I will absolutely support you doing that on your own. So, um, Okay, so verse 11 um, kind of pops into Romans 12 with a challenge from Paul. Uh, saying, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. That's how the NLT translates it. Uh, Different translations say different things. The ESV says, be fervent in spirit and not slothful in zeal. Uh, The NIV says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Kind of all the same ideas, different words. Uh, to do it. Uh, In these translations, they feel to me very close to what Paul's saying. Maybe if you combined all of them, we would get there. Um, But I'm really honestly not crazy about any of them because I think there are a few really cool things that are happening in the original language here um, that that just don't show up very easily in English. So I'm going to try to unpack them uh, for us today. So uh, the first thing that I think is very interesting about the words here is the the literal translation um, of this. In the verses, says before uh, in t- 9 and 10, Paul is talking about forgiveness and love and honor. And then he says this in verse 11, in the Greek literal translation, the, the first few words say, in haste, not slow. And here's why that's interesting to me. Uh, because what Paul is likely doing here is he's, he's playing on a phrase that was popular at the time that comes from Caesar Augustus. Uh, you may remember uh, from the nativity story that uh, Caesar Augustus was the Roman emperor when Jesus was born. And uh, Caesar Augustus had this saying uh, that was this, make haste slowly. And it was a term he used frequently, a term that he used in military training because uh, he thought that rashness was a dangerous quality in a military commander. Amen. Um, And so he had this, this phrasing that meant that when you do something, do it with equal parts urgency and diligence. Uh, And it was such a popular phrase that Augustus put it, um, had it printed on coins. It was like the slogan of the day, and it it was on coins. Sort of like, in God we trust uh, on on our coins, or e pluribus uh, unum, uh, the the, uh, out of many one that comes on our coins. Um, Which means that there is a chance or a likelihood that Roman Christians who received this letter from Paul, uh, that they were listening to the letter as they rolled a coin in their hand or in their pocket, printed with very similar wording. Uh, Regardless uh, if if they had a coin or not, it would have been a phrase that they knew. And it would have made very quick sense uh, to the early Roman Christians what Paul was talking about. But Paul, he takes the call of Augustus um, and he kind of refines it and he, and he flips it just a little bit. Both of them, both phrases, they both feel like a call to passion. I think that's why so many translations use the word zeal in verse 11. It's an impassioned slogan, an impassioned phrase. It's a call to enthusiasm and, and passion and intention and motivation. Uh, but for Paul, it's also a call to quick action. Uh, he's saying when it comes to the things of faith, Things like forgiveness and love and honor. He says, move fast in these things, not slow. Sort of the opposite of Augustus. Move fast, not slow. It's a a call to diligence, but it's also a call to a move of urgency. It's a call to faith that's vibrant, a faith that moves in a serious way, but also in a swift way. It's uh, enthusiasm with energy. Uh, It's zeal. And if you look throughout church history, uh, the people who have done the most for the kingdom of God tend to be people uh, with the most zeal for God. Uh, we see it in the scriptures. We see it throughout church history. The, the prophets and the apostles and the saints and the early church fathers and the desert mothers and fathers and, and, and all kinds of things. Um, but what's also true is that if you look throughout church history, you will see that a zeal and vibrancy is something that may uh, move in action often for God, but it's also something that the urgency and the struggle of living a life tends to choke out in a person. For example, uh, my guess is if you're here and in this room and you would call yourself a Jesus follower, um, and that has maybe been a story beyond a year for you, Uh, my guess is uh, that many of us uh, would be able to point back to a time when we had more zeal than we do now, than we had more enthusiasm uh, than we do now, more energy or more vibrancy than we do now. The older you get, unfortunately, the more enthusiasm feels like it's something you've left behind than something you have and take on. And I don't think that Paul denies that here. I don't think he's denying that in his letter to the Romans. I think instead he's hoping for it. That Paul in this phrase is hoping for the Roman Christians to recover what has been left behind, to recover their zeal, to recover their enthusiasm, their urgency. He prays for it and he longs for it and encourages a quest for diligent urgency in the souls of early Jesus followers. It's one of the things written thousands of years ago that to me still feels applicable today. Like Paul could have written this for us today. Uh, this reminder uh, to find diligent urgency in our faith today. Just uh, like the, the church in Rome, the early Christians, our church needs more zeal and our community needs our vibrancy to go with us to the places where we live and work and learn and play. Um, but then not just on a, a wide scale, I think also on a, on a personal scale. Uh, I think that we need more zeal on our own. Uh, Simon Ponsonby uh, says, zeal doesn't just achieve more for God, it also experiences more of God. Okay. So let's keep playing with words. Uh, there's another set of words that get left out in many translations. I feel like I need like a, a sound bite that Dusty can just hit that's like, da-na-na, da-na-na. Like she's going to geek out on words right now. That's, that's what's happening. Dusty, could you work on that for me? Um, okay, so, so maybe this is very nitpicky and I may lose you, but I hope I don't because I love it. But maybe this is nitpicky, but if you'll humor me, I would like to take you on this nerd fest through Romans 12. Um, one of the words in the original language that helps describe zeal is the Greek word zeo. Uh, and zeo means like uh, extra hot. Like it'd be a word that you would use to describe something like a, like a, a pot of water that's like a big rolling boil or um, a metal that's been heated so much that it's not even orange anymore, it, it turns to white. Okay, so it's like a really, really hot word. It, it means that something is, is ablaze. Um, and it would, uh, it, meaning... In this text that our zeal, our enthusiasm, our vibrancy, Paul would say that it is meant to boil. It's meant to burn. It's meant to blaze. Do not be slow to do the work of the kingdom, he says, but burn for it. Boil with enthusiasm for it. And if that sounds like Paul is doing sort of like a, a pep talk or a cheerleading chant, like, go team, you know, burn for Jesus, or, or that's a terrible... <laughs> Nope. <laughs> Edit here for the podcast. <laughs> um, if it sounds like Paul is trying to cheer you on, not saying appropriate things, um, if that's what it sounds like, I think it's because we're not quite done playing with this word. Because the word zeo, the word burn, it doesn't stand alone. Because alongside zeo is the word pneuma. And the word pneuma in Greek is most often translated spirit. And so to the best of my understanding and the understanding of the people that I read, uh, grammatically speaking, the word pneuma here uh, acts, uh, acts like, or the word pneuma here shows up in the instrumental case. Here's what I mean. In the, in the role of, as in the, sorry, as in the role of the word spirit in the sentence is to be an instrument of what it's describing. Maybe a better way to say that is the role of the word spirit here is to accomplish the action verb. The role of spirit is to accomplish the boil or to accomplish the blaze, to accomplish the the very hotness of the zeal. So that means that what Paul is saying is the, the only way for us to truly experience the vibrancy of faith that boils with enthusiasm for God and for his kingdom is through the Holy Spirit. Is attached to the Holy Spirit. It is the spirit's job to accomplish the blazing. And for a word nerd, uh, that is very good wording. Paul writes about a zeal and a fire and a vibrancy that is dependent on and irremovable from the spirit of the one that we burn for. But it isn't just good wording, and it isn't just good writing, it's also really good theology. Because it means that life ablaze with God doesn't come by the work of the flesh or by earning some sort of spiritual upgrade by the things that we do. Paul is saying that life ablaze with the love of God only comes through the work of the Spirit and the Spirit of love. The Spirit is the instrument for the action. Here's why I think that's so important. Because it means that no matter how hard our days are, or no matter how dark our nights are, no matter how loud the tyranny of the urgent is, all around us, no matter how we feel, we, by means of the Spirit, have access to something more vibrant than we currently have, more vibrant than we currently are, more vibrant than we are currently seeing or living or believing right now in this moment. We have access to something more. Uh, Douglas Moo is a, a... genius New Testament scholar, and he translates uh, this section of Romans 12, 11 as he says, it is be set on fire by the spirit. Not be ablaze with the love of God by white knuckling your faith and like working hard to get it into being or, or not by the strength of your own soul or body or mind, but by the spirit of God, through the spirit of God, in the spirit of God, which means that the action takes place Uh, the action that takes place is through the Spirit of God. Be set on fire by the Spirit. So uh, how do we access the Spirit that will set our hearts ablaze? Uh, Paul gives us a clue in the next verse in in Romans 12. Uh, It says this, Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. Uh, He gives us a few access points here uh, to access that emboldened uh, vibrancy. Uh, The first, I think, is worship. He says, rejoice in our confident hope. Uh, The second is enduring. Be patient in troubles or trials or struggles. And the last one is to keep praying. Uh, I want to touch very briefly on each of these three things. Uh, The first one is worship. Um, I think what Paul is saying here is that we don't worship or rejoice because all is well. We worship and rejoice because we believe all will be well. Or in my case, sometimes I I worship because I want to believe uh, that all might be well one day. I want to believe that all things will rise, that they have all been made right and new again, that all of the things that I have sown in weakness will be raised by the promise of God. And so within worship is like this quest for a confident hope that comes from the fire of the Spirit uh, that warms us, that warms our fears and warms our guilt and warms all of our unbelief. Uh, the second access point that Paul gives us is endurance. Um, one of my, my favorite quotes ever comes from Frederick Buechner and it used to hang on the door of my, uh, my boy's door to their bedroom, and it says this, it says, here is the world, beautiful and terrible things will happen, don't be afraid. I think Paul talks about patience and struggle because he knows uh, that what Bigner and any human being on planet earth knows is true, Uh, beautiful and terrible things will happen in this world. I think um, Paul might switch up Fred's wording in this. I think Paul might say, here is the world, beautiful and terrible things will happen, be patient in both. Be patient in both. One of the most crucial skills of resilience and of, re- of endurance is patience in it. And I hate that that's true. I hate it, but it is. We wait with a patient hope. We worship with a patient hope. Uh, Beekner says this. He says that, that as we wait, as followers of Jesus, as we wait, we stand up to our knees in the past with our eyes on the future. Our patient hope comes from the God who has always made way for us to grow or flourish or sometimes just get by. And we stand now with eyes on the future, but we stand in the experiences of our past. We stand in the beautiful and terrible things that um, have happened to us and around us that the God who loves us has uh, made a way for us over and over and over again where there was no way. He has taken us through beautiful and terrible over and over and over again. And so we endure with patience. I do sometimes. And then the last access point uh, to the Spirit of God that sets our hearts ablaze that Paul offers us here is prayer. He says, keep on praying. Keep on praying. Uh, a couple of us here in this room have uh, met with a spiritual director that, are, uh, that works a lot with, with our church. And uh, the first question that he asks when you hop on a Zoom call with him is he'll say, how's your practice? And what he means is, how's your prayer? Uh, and why he asks that is because what happens in prayer is that things uh, bubble up as you pray. Things that feel very confusing in life when you take them to prayer, honestly, sometimes feel more confusing. Things that feel really life-giving in life when you take them to prayer feel more life-giving. And so basically what he's asking is, what are you embracing or what are you avoiding in your prayer? Uh, he's saying, tell me how your fire's going. Uh, Tish Harrison Warren uh, calls prayer our chief practice in the craft of faith. Uh, I heard a pastor this week say that prayer is the practice of putting log after log on a fire that you want to burn. Burn, and I have spent my entire life trying to prove that that's wrong. But I, I, I do not know how to rejoice with confident hope, or how to uh, find patience in struggle without prayer. Prayer is the place where things just kind of bubble up—what we care deeply about, what's confusing, uh, things we're embracing or avoiding. The discipline of prayer is, I think, and and I truly don't want to be hyperbolic here, uh, the the discipline of prayer, there are different fuels that God uses to emblazon us as his people, but I think the biggest one of all of them is prayer. Uh, I think it has a pulse on the vibrancy of our faith more than any other measure or any other practice or any other action that we have. When I am in a flourishing season, uh, my prayer life at the time is normally, to the best of my memory, also flourishing. And when I'm in a difficult season, when I lack zeal, when the flames inside me feel like they're flickering away, uh, the first thing to go in my life, uh, it feels like for me, prayer. Anyone else? Uh, If you've ever wondered why we talk about prayer so much here at Springbrook, uh, this is why. Because Paul tells us that one of the ways we access the vibrancy of the Spirit is to keep on praying. It's why we are always giving you prayer practices to try on your own. It's why we stop song, you know, uh, it's, it's not like known as a good tactic in the worship world to stop a song to pray, but we stop songs in order to pray corporately back and forth. Uh, this is why we ask people to stand in the back and pray for you on a Sunday morning because we really believe that prayer is a crucial access point to the warmth of the fire of the Spirit of God. So I want to end our time today uh, with an action uh, for us, a challenge for us to do uh, all together as a group. Um, there is an ancient prayer rhythm that dates all the way back uh, to the Jews of the Old Testament. It's actually a rhythm that uh, historians believe that Jesus and his friends followed. Um, and, the, and the words we hear it most often today talk about, to talk about it is uh, either liturgy of the hours or praying the divine office, uh, which sounds very fancy and Catholic, uh, but really it just means praying multiple times a day. Um, It means to intentionally pray at specific points uh, during your day. And often um, in a general sense, that looks like a prayer in the morning, a prayer around midday, and a prayer in the evening. That's kind of the watered down version of praying the divine office. And what it does is it just sort of devotes the cycle of your day uh, to God. Uh, It's also a way to throw a log onto the fire at multiple times in a day. How many of you know if you want to keep a fire going, you have to add wood to it, right? And so it's just adding logs uh, to the fire. So here's the challenge for us. Will you, alongside me, uh, commit to trying to pray three times a day? Um, you can set an alarm on your phone and actually we're about to do Selah and you can pull out your phone and Selah and do it. No one will get mad at you. You can do it right now. So you don't forget, um, set an alarm on your phone for three different times uh, of day. Um, set an alarm for when you get up, preferably, uh, like before you get out of bed, maybe, or if you need coffee or a shower to get anything done, you can pray with coffee. It's fine. You can pray in the shower. Turns out also allowed, um, Uh, set another one around whenever you eat lunch or you want to eat lunch and then uh set a final alarm around the time that you would normally go to bed or want to go to bed maybe this will help your summer resolution to go to bed on time um uh, i'm hopeful that was autobiographical um and you can do whatever you want during these prayers if you have practices that you love do it go for it keep doing whatever works quit listening to me Um, But for some people, what they do during these times, for a lot of people all over the world and all throughout history, is they'll use the Lord's Prayer. And they'll just pray the Lord's Prayer these three times. Uh, You can find it in Matthew chapter 6. My friend Buddy does this. Uh, I've been out to coffee coffee with Buddy, and his alarm will go off. And he'll just start saying, our Father in heaven. And you're like, oh, and he's like, do you want to pray it with me? And you're like, I think so. You know, so he'll just stop, he, even if he's with someone, and he'll say it out loud. I, I double-dog dare you to do that at your work break room. That would be hilarious. You, know. um, <laughs> uh, you could do that. It's maybe you find a psalm to read and read a different psalm or, or the same psalm uh, three different times a day. Or maybe you just set a one-minute timer on your phone to just be silent. Um, I, I am going to put a, a resource on our social media that comes from a church uh, in England called Christ Church London, where I stole a lot of today. Um, uh, and they have this incredible prayer resource on their website. The website is ChristChurchLondon.org uh, slash prayer. Uh, but we'll put it up on our socials this week, too. But they have prayers for everything, for anxiety, for rest, for your work day, for, for everything. Um, okay, three very quick tips, and then we're gonna, I'm going to pray and just let you all have some time. Um, Three helpful ways to pray. One, it is very good to uh, pray your own thoughts and your own words. If that isn't something that you normally do, it is a good thing to do. To say whatever you want, need, feel, and fear to God. Um, Point number two, it is very good to pray the thoughts and words of other people. Uh, to pray psalms or poems or prayer books. I was talking to a friend this week and he has this Thomas Merton poem or, uh, prayer that he's reading through this whole season of his life. I, I have a Wendell Berry poem that has become a psalm to me. And I pray this poem like uh, a, a psalm. And then three, uh, point number three, it is very good to be silent in prayer. And so this week, would you keep those things in mind? Would you find time to pray your own words? Would you find a time when you pray the words of someone else? And would you find a time to be silenced, especially that last one? Silence, uh, much to my dismay, is a strange and powerful fuel for the vibrancy of God. Lastly, if all of this sounds like too much for you, maybe you are in a season that feels like you have a little flame that could blow out at any moment. Uh, Here's what I know to be true. Uh, In Isaiah 42 and then again in Matthew 20, Jesus is described like this. Uh, A a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. If you are hanging on by a thread, stuck in the wetsuit of your life, he will not blow you out. To engage him, he will not blow you out. I'll give you $50 if he does. He will not. (laughs) He will not blow you out. And so if you don't even know where to start, here's a great way. Ask him. Say, Holy Spirit, warm my heart. You can say it over and over again. You can say it one time, Holy Spirit, warm my heart. And he will. Okay, I'm going to bless you, and we're just going to take a minute and and be quiet. There will be verse on the screen if you want, or set up that alarm, whatever this time is for you. So Jesus, we love you and we thank you. I pray for those of us in the room who feel like uh, our flame is That smoldering feels like a gracious word for what's going on. Warm our hearts. Holy Spirit, warm our hearts. I pray that as we engage you, would you give us the courage to try a new thing in prayer. To try our own words or to try to find the words of others or to try silence. I pray that we wouldn't manufacture experiences with you but that you would just meet us in this quiet, simple practice. In your name we pray, amen.